Trinity Baptist Church. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. The The word word of the Lord. Lord. Thank you, Karin and Meg. Well done. I'm going to ask you guys to stand again. There have been a few folks come in since we greeted at the beginning. I want you to um, turn and greet one another, but I want to give you um, a phrase, or I I want you to do something. I want you to introduce yourselves, tell how long you've been coming to Trinity, whether it's 20 years or this is your first time. Either way, that's great. And then I want you to share with the other person that you're greeting a phrase that makes your stomach queasy, all right? Something that gets your heart racing, like, may I see your license and registration, please? Okay? So, you know, I would turn to you and I would say, hi, I'm Keith. I've been here for 22 years. And a phrase that makes my stomach queasy is, let's stop dating and just be friends. Um, I used to get that one a lot, all right? So, anyway... So turn to each other, turn to somebody, greet them, and share that phrase. Ready, go. Okay, it's just a phrase. It's not like a story. This is not about a breakup story or... All right, take a seat. Okay, who wants to be vulnerable and share their phrase? Why didn't you answer your phone? Oh. Have you been drinking? <laughs> What's your credit score? Hey, do you have a second? Or, or the closely related, can we talk? <laughs> right? Okay, here's, here's one that I don't know if anybody else has, has ever gotten, but um, I'm sorry, sir, but your credit card has been denied. You gotten that one? Um, I've gotten it a few times. And it always kind of churns in me because I'm thinking... Why? You know, there must be fraud going on. There must be something happening because it can't be that my account is too low. And I think that that's probably true for most of us, that if we hear that phrase, it's not because we don't, we've extended our credit too much. But maybe it is. 
You know, the, the reality is we incur debt every day. Maybe it's not financial debt, but we incur moral and spiritual debt every day uh, because of sin. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples when they, when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray, he included this, this phrase in what we know as the Lord's Prayer. He said, right after asking for your daily bread, you need to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, there's two sides to that that phrase. There's the, the forgiveness of our debt from the Lord. And then there's the forgiveness that we extend to others of their debt toward us. We are in this series, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're in this series called True Love where we've been going through a, a very familiar passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. Even if you've never read the Bible, you've heard this, this passage where the Apostle Paul says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. And we've been looking at each one of these phrases over the last number of weeks and and unpacking them as we've looked at at how God's love toward us is all of these things. And how if we live out of that love, then we can express that love or demonstrate that same kind of love to others. But we we have to live out of the love that God has for us, which is all of these things. And the phrase that we're going to look at this morning is this phrase that love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. A couple other translations render this phrase that uh, love is not resentful or that love does not hold a grudge or that love um, does not keep record of complaints. There's a, a guy by the name of Alexander Strzok who has written a book called Leading in Love. And in, in the book, he recounts this story of a woman who goes to the doctor. She's got an ulcer. And the doctor is trying to, to determine what's going, going on with that, what's the cause with, of the, the ulcer. And, and he, can't, he can't discover any physical cause for this. And so he sends her to a psychologist. He thinks it might be something emotional or, or, or psychological. And so as she's meeting with this psychologist in, in the middle of the meeting, she pulls out this manuscript that's a, a, an inch and a half, uh, inch and a half thick, uh, single-spaced, both sides of the paper, and she, eight and a half by 13 paper, and she plops it down on the, the psychologist's desk, and she says, this is a record of everything my husband has done wrong for the last 13 years. <laughs> I'm glad my wife hasn't done that, because there would be a library after 30 years. Um, 
what, what had happened to her, I mean, we laughed, we kind of chuckled because that's extreme. But the reality is, because she had kept a record of wrongs so meticulously against her husband for 13 years, it was literally tearing her up inside. It literally was, was causing physical ailment to her. Now, we kind of shake our head and say, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really bad. But don't we kind of do the same thing? I mean, we may not, you know, keep record with, you know, single space and both sides of the paper. But we've got our lists. My husband works too much. My wife complains too much, my kids whine too much, my boss expects too much, and on and on and on. We, we build this list. What happens when you keep a list? Here's the thing about a list. The list always gets longer. If you're keeping a list, it's not going to get shorter. It will always get longer. And over time, while it may or may not have a physical impact on you, what I can guarantee you is that it will have a spiritual and emotional impact on you, and it will ruin your relationships. What keeping a list, what keeping record of wrongs essentially is, is unforgiveness. And unforgiveness contaminates any relationship. It contaminates, um, uh, it undermines any marriage, it, it poisons any parenting, it destroys any friendship, it, um, it, it will kill a business partnership, it can upset neighborhoods, and it can turn a church upside down. Unforgiveness ruins relationships. And the bitterness that comes from unforgiveness will um, will bite you back. Often the person that's hurt the most by keeping a record of wrongs is the record keeper themselves. I mean, think about how this plays out in your relationships. Think about somebody that you are either in conflict with right now or have had conflict with in the past. I mean, we've all got them, right? Somebody who's, who's wronged you or hurt you or, or been on the opposite side of an issue with you. Just kind of think about the dynamic of that for a minute. You can, make a, you can come up with a long list of what they did wrong in that, can't you? They did this and they did that and this is what they did and this is how it, you know, hurt me and da-da-da. You can come up with that list pretty easily, right? Yeah? But flip the, but go to the other side. How easy is it for you to come up with a list of how you hurt them? How you wronged them, how you sinned against them in word or deed in the context of that conflict. I have a friend who, who's written a book on emotional intelligence. And he says that we all tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, but others on their behavior. 
We all tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others on their behavior. Isn't that true? Because I didn't intend to hurt you, because I didn't intend to wrong you, I don't think I did. But I can see by your behaviors that you did wrong me. I don't think about your intentions. I see you for what you did. That's why it's so easy to see the speck in other people's eyes and and not even notice the railroad tie in our own. Right? The reason we do that is because we tend to think more of ourselves than we do of others. But love, true love, keeps no record of wrongs. So what's the opposite of record keeping? Forgiveness. Paul could have said love forgives. That's, that's, what, that's what is at the heart of not keeping a record of wrongs. Love forgives. Um, love doesn't allow the list to build up. Uh, life will be, be better for you and it'll be better for everybody around you if you don't let the list build. Apparently, some people don't know that we have an option. And if you listen to our vocabulary, it kind of betrays that. Uh, don't talk to me, I'm in a bad mood. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? Don't talk to me, I'm in a bad mood. As if a mood were a place to which we've been assigned. Right? I can't call, I'm in Bosnia. You know? A mood is not some place we've been assigned. A mood is an emotion that we permit. Um... You don't really want to interact with her because she has a bad disposition. Is a disposition something you have, like a cold or the flu? You know? I mean, do we have emotional Ebola? That, that we have this thing, don't, don't get near that person? Or do we have a choice? The Apostle Paul says that we do. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. We, we are to capture every thought and we are to make it give up and obey Jesus. Do you hear the kind of the battlefield jargon in that? Take captive. Make it obey. It's, it's like we are the soldiers and the thoughts are the enemy. Not the other person, but the thoughts that we're having are the enemy. And we're to take those thoughts captive and we're to make them obey. And if we start, see this negative thought coming, we're to say, oh, no, no, no. This heart belongs to Jesus. And you're, getting, you're not getting a foothold here. What if we did that? 
What if you took every thought captive? What if, if you refused to let any negative thought about another person get a footing in your mind? Solomon said that we need to be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Think of it like this. You're on the subway going into work and you begin to think of your coworker who has wronged you. You start thinking, well, they, you know, they questioned my work ethic and they belittled me in front of my team. And you start running these thoughts. And then you start saying, well, you know, I didn't deserve that. And, and, that, and, and they did this to me and they did that thing to that other person. And they, you know, and what do you, you start going down that road. Right? Now, you can do that. As you're riding the subway into work, you can, you can start building the list. But what's going to happen the moment you see that person when you walk into work? How are you going to feel about that person? How's your relationship going to be with that person? It's going to be strained at best. Right? Or... You can take every thought captive. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to allow those negative thoughts about this person to, to get a footing in my heart or in my mind. In fact, I am going to quote scripture and I'm going to say, persecute, I mean, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And I'm going to start filling my mind with good thoughts about that person. You are not a victim to your thoughts. You have a vote. You have a voice. You can choose. You can exercise thought prevention. You can also exercise thought permission. You see, if you, if you can change the thoughts, you can change the person. Rather than fill our minds with bad thoughts of the other person making our list, what would happen if we would fill our thoughts, fill our mind with good thoughts about God? Good thoughts about God's grace to us. Do you think that standing beneath a downpour of His grace will change the way you feel and act toward other people. You see, what Jesus calls us to is a life of forgiveness, even as we have been forgiven. Our memory verse for this week is Ephesians 4.32, where Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do I need to remind us of the debt that we owe him? Do I need to remind us of the fact that when we've swiped our card at, at heaven's gate, it said, your card has been denied? Do I need to remind us that we have insufficient funds in our holiness account? I mean... God says, do not covet. How many of us have ever coveted? 
Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hands, this one will get you. God says, do not lie. (laughs) Don't be lying about not coveting. We've all coveted. We've all lied. We've all disobeyed our parents. We've all followed after the lustful um, desires of our hearts. That's just four of the top ten. The fact is, we sin every day. As 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Friends, sin is the monarch that rules our hearts and it is the degenerative power in us that wreaks havoc on every part of our life, every relationship. Sin causes every broken marriage, every dysfunctional home, every shattered relationship, every argument. Sin causes pain, sorrow, and ultimately death. Sin is a terrible, terrible thing, and yet we have decided that we're going to wallow in it. And thus we are an affront to the holiness of God, and we undermine everything that he wants to do in his creation. Yeah. Our credit has been denied. Our holiness account has insufficient funds. And what makes matters worse is that we can't do anything about it. We've dug a hole so deep that there's no way we can climb out. Romans 3 tells us that no one will ever be declared righteous by observing the law because nobody can. Romans 4 says that there's nothing we can do that can make us right or justify us before God. But then you get to Romans chapter 5, and Paul says this. He says, "Um, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were so far in debt, we had no way out. Jesus said, I'm going to wipe that out. I'm going to cross that out. I'm going to cancel the debt. Paul put it a little bit differently to the Colossians. In Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you to Christ." Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Paul says, once you were far away from God, but now you're near. Why? Because of the cross. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Friends, God loved us so much that even though we rebelled against him, even though we did, we did everything we could to separate ourselves from him, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that we might be reconciled, so that we might be co-heirs with Christ, so that we could be on his side. I want you to do something with me. I want everybody to hold up your hand, right hand, kind of wave it at me. Hey, how y'all doing? Um, 
Okay, so kind of turn it and look at it, and I want you to see in your palm, I want you to see the face of a loving God. Whatever that looks like to you. Visualize the face of a loving God. And then I want you to close your fist and hold that close to your heart. In this hand, take out the other hand. And I want you to visualize yourself in that hand. I want you to close that fist and hold it out at arm's length. Now close your eyes. Visualize the cross between you and God. And Jesus taking all of your sin that separates you from a loving father. And when you can see that all of your sin has gone on to Jesus and he has absorbed it all so that there is no longer any division, take that hand and bring it close to your heart next to God. That's what the cross does. The cross keeps no record of wrongs. The cross forgives our sin and cancels our debt. That's what God's love does for us. Not because it has to, but because it chooses to. You see, love is a choice we make to take thoughts captive and keep no records of wrongs. I love the story of Clara Barton. You know Clara Barton, the, the founder of Salvation Army? Um, or, I'm sorry, American Red Cross. Like, like any prominent person, she had her critics. And at one point, one of her friends came to her and reminded her of a criticism that somebody had had of her. And, and Clara said, well, I, I don't remember that. And this person said, oh, yes, you do. This person was so mean and, and criticized you for this. And, and Clara said, no. And this, her response was classic. She said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. <laughs> That's what forgiveness looks like. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. So what does forgiveness look like? Well, I want I us to consider two types of forgiveness this morning. And there, there are some others, and it's, it's more complicated than this. But, but for our time, I want us to think about two things. There's, there's attitudinal forgiveness, and there's transactional forgiveness. All right? Um, these are not terms that you'll find in the Bible, but the concepts are there. Attitudinal forgiveness is, is forgiving that is the forgiving that needs to happen in our hearts, regardless of whether or not the other person is re- repentant. Regardless of whether or not they ask for forgiveness, we we could say that attitudinal forgiveness releases bitterness. It doesn't put me in jail. It doesn't give me an ulcer. Attitudinal forgiveness 
doesn't let the sin of somebody else eat me alive, which it can if we let it. Attitudinal forgiveness is Jesus praying on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You see, even though there wasn't repentance, even though there was no confession or, or, or recognition of sin, Jesus had a heart that was forgiving. That's attitudinal forgiveness. And here's, here's the thing, and we all know this. People are going to sin against us, right? People are going to do things against you that hurt you, that wrong you, that make your blood boil. Yeah, of course they are. But do all of those offenses need to be confronted? Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 12.6 says, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an offense. This is what Clara Barton did. This is what true love does. True love looks at the offense and, and says, I'm going to be patient with this and I'm going to overlook it. That's, and that's going to be to my glory. Solomon says that that's to overlook an offense is to your glory. He says that it's prudent to overlook an offense. Ken Sandy, who's written a lot on peacemaking, says, practically speaking, if you can, if you can go on and move past the offense and you don't see the offense as, as a destructive pattern in the other person's life, then you need to move on. If you don't see the offense as something that's destructive in the other person's life, or if, it, if it's something that isn't going to drive a wedge in the relationship, then you need to overlook it and move on. Now, if it is destructive, if you think it would be loving to confront the person on it, or if you, you don't think you can move forward in the relationship without confronting that issue, then you need to confront it. But if you can overlook it, then overlook it. If you can move on, move on. And that's attitudinal forgiveness where we, we just, we say, okay, I was hurt by this. I was offended by this. I was sinned against in this, but it's not, it's not, I don't see it as a destructive pattern, nor is is it really going to be a wedge between us? So I'm going to move on. That's to your glory. This also includes the times when someone sins against you, but they won't repent of it. And those are some of the hardest thing, times to deal with in all of life. But you can't let their sin eat you alive. You, your stance toward them must be love, where you're ready to forgive ready to be reconciled if and when they are repentant. See, true love keeps no record of wrongs in the sense of, I'm not going to hold a grudge. I'm not going to be resentful. I'm not going to let this thing stand between us. It doesn't keep a record. Um, so that's attitudinal forgiveness. 
Transactional forgiveness is even better. Transactional forgiveness is when the other person is repentant and they come to you and they want to reconcile. That transactional forgiveness is where you get to open up your arms and say, I love you, Um, you're forgiven, let's move forward in the relationship. That's transactional forgiveness. But you need to hear this. Before you seek transactional forgiveness, you need to already have attitudinal forgiveness. When you go to confront the other person, if you're going to try to do that, you need to have already determined in your heart that you have forgiven them. You have to have attitudinal forgiveness before transactional forgiveness can take place. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love forgives. Now you may be thinking, Keith, I don't know how this is possible. I don't know how to do this. You know how it's possible? The gospel. The cross of Jesus makes it possible. As Paul told the Ephesians, we are to forgive one another. How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. What we've done to God is so much worse than anything anyone will ever do to us. And if Jesus can forgive us of our multitude of sins against him, then once we've received his forgiveness, we are then able to forgive others. Um, the Bible says that at the cross, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, God didn't keep a record of wrongs with us. He crossed the record out. And if he can forgive us like that, then we can forgive others like that. Question, have you been forgiven like that? Have you received the forgiveness that Jesus offers at the cross? If you haven't, you can do that this morning. If you're having a hard time forgiving others and you're, you're holding grudges because of this, that, and the other, then my um, diagnosis is that you haven't really received the forgiveness that God has offered you. You haven't really stepped into that and experienced that because when you experience His forgiveness, it is impossible then not to extend it to other people. You become that. And so I just want to encourage you this morning that if you are not able to live out of that forgiveness, then this morning you can receive that forgiveness. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that I'm going to invite you to pray with me. But you can do that today. And if you have received his forgiveness... 
If you have, if you believe in the gospel, then you don't have to keep score. My guess is that there are a number of us who have received his forgiveness and yet we're still keeping score. Maybe we're keeping score because we're afraid that if we don't keep score, then they're going to get off the hook. Can you trust God with that? Scripture says, will not the God of the universe do what is right? Will he not do what is right? You bet he will. And God's going to judge their sin either eternally or he's going to judge it in perfect justice and perfect mercy at the cross just like he did yours. You see, he crossed out your sin. He can cross out theirs too. Trust God. Either way, you don't have to hold on to it. God can take care of it. Live in love. Live in love. Just as Jesus crossed out your sin. Not keeping a record of it. He calls us as we live in love to cross out the sin of others. To not keep a record. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. Forgive one another. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrongs. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful that that you crossed out my record. That, That you're not... You don't have a manuscript that you're pounding on a a desk and saying, Keith, here's your list. As Psalm 103 says, "You you have removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And you remember it no more. Lord, I'm so grateful for that. And I pray, Father, for that person here this morning who who maybe hasn't experienced your forgiveness. And so they're, they're living in bitterness and holding grudges and they can't seem to move on. I pray, Lord, that today they would open up their hearts to you and receive your forgiveness and that it would transform them. And they would become better lovers even as you are. So if you're here this morning and and you have not experienced the the love and forgiveness of of God and and if you're holding your hand out and you can't bring it in close to your chest because you know, you don't know that the cross has taken away your sin, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me in the quiet of your heart. Lord Jesus, I feel so far from God. And I know it's because of my sin. I thank you for what you did on the cross. That you crossed out my record. 
that because of you, I can draw close to the Father. I receive your forgiveness and your grace. I want to follow you. If you are here this morning and you have received that just even today or at some point in your life, I want you to experience again the grace and love and mercy of God. Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful.